And, uh, and, and I, had, I had skied a few times, and, I, and they said, you need, you need to come try snowboarding. And so I went up snowboarding with, with all these people who had been doing it forever. That was a really bad idea because they took me up to the top of the mountain and said, all right, go down. You just got to stay on your heel edge, and you can just go down anything. And I didn't know how to do my heel edge. I didn't know anything. I, and I, I remember just hating it that day, and I thought I would never do it again. But I, I did eventually try it again, and I, I liked it, and I've been doing it now for... A long time. I don't even want to count the years. Um, anyway, um, so we can all think of those, those moments when we just had bad ideas. Uh, time Magazine in 2010 came out with the 50 worst inventions, and I thought this was really interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to share all of them with you. That would be my whole sermon time. So I'll, I'll just share a few with you. And I think they're, they're really interesting. But maybe you guys remember this, this guy who would show up on your word processor, Clippy. His name was Clippy. Um, Remember that? Uh, if, if, you're, if you're young and you have, didn't have the early versions of Microsoft Word, you don't remember this. Um, but uh, it, it always would pop up and say, it looks like you're writing a letter. Would you like some help? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I real quickly just clicked out of it. And, uh, you know, nobody writes letters anymore, so Clippy's kind of obsolete. Uh, we just send text messages and emails, right? But um, another one is uh, subprime mortgages. They, uh, you can't hardly see that. It's just a picture of a house with a, with a for sale sign out front. Um, so I don't know anything about finances and that kind of stuff, but this is just one thing they said. And they basically pointed out that uh, you know, the subprime mortgage was a big thing that led to the big dip you know, in, our, in our economy uh, back in, I think it was, was it 2009, I think, uh, or 2007. Anyway, um, but I thought it was interesting because I was like, well, what does it mean? What does subprime mean? Well, your subprime... If you have a credit score of under 620, if you put less than 10% down on your house, and if, you, if more than 45% of your income is going towards your, your house payment, your mortgage. Uh, and I was like, wow, that would, that would be a really bad choice to go through with that. Um, and that's why we had a big catastrophe. Um, hydrogen blimps, really bad idea, right? Um, don't really have to say anything after that. Hindenburg disaster. Um, and this, this is near to my heart, hair in a can. Uh, you can't hardly see it, but, you know, like, I don't have much on top, but I just shave it off. And so I just tell everybody, just, just own it, you know. Just, just own it, shave it off. It's okay. You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to have hair in a can. It's okay. Um, but, uh, you see, we have, we have a lot of bad ideas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've all heard our share of bad ideas. We've all had our share of bad ideas. Um, maybe you've been the recipient of a bad idea. Your boss comes in and shows up and says, hey, got this great idea. And we're going to, you know, up our marketing scheme and do all this stuff. We're going to, you know, everything's going to go great. And, and the, the boss lays it out and you're like, oh, that's a bad idea. And, but you don't have a choice because he's the boss or she's the boss. And so you go through with it and it doesn't go well. Um, but we're going to encounter somebody here in the wilderness who hears a really bad idea. At least in his mind, he hears a really bad idea. But in order for us to get there, I just want to give you a little bit of background. Okay, so if you're reading through the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 1, you have the Israelites. Um, they're, they're, they've grown, they've become populous, they've become kind of this big nation uh, that God has promised that they would be. But a new king shows up 
who forgets the relationship that he had with the Israelites before. Remember, Joseph showed up. He saved Egypt from a huge famine, and uh, everything was good. He, Pharaoh gave them, the king gave them their own land, their own space. And this new king shows up hundreds of years later, and he forgets Joseph. He doesn't know who Joseph is. And so he's looking around. He's seeing all these foreign people running around in his kingdom. And he says, man, we've got to slow these people down. They're multiplying like rabbits. We've got to stop something here. Uh, so he enslaves them. And that doesn't work. They keep multiplying. So he says, all right, well, let's, let's have the midwives kill all the boys. And so they, the midwives, they fear God. They're, they don't want to kill the boys. And uh, God actually blesses them because they say, we're not going to kill the boys. We're, we're going to let them live. And uh, that doesn't work. And then, the, and then Pharaoh commands that every Hebrew boy would be thrown into the Nile River. And uh, the, the Israelites just keep growing and keep building up. And in Exodus chapter 2, we're introduced to the character of the story. Um, a Levite couple has a wondrous little baby boy. And they do throw him into the Nile, but they do it in a good way. Because they take a basket and they put him in, you know, they put some tar on the bottom and make it safe. And they set it right next to where Pharaoh's daughter goes and bathes. And so she finds him, of course. And uh, his, his older sister is watching. And, and she says, hey, you want me to go fetch somebody to nurse this little boy with? And of, of course. So she goes and gets his mother. And so he gets to be raised by his mother. Um, and and it's, it's just this incredible story. But then... As Moses grows up with all the power and, and the prestige that probably comes with being a, a person of royal blood, he also connects to his people somehow. We don't know how. The, the story doesn't tell us. He loves his people. And as he's watching, a, look and, watching and looking and he's seeing the way that the Egyptians are, are, are treating his people, it, it hurts him and he, and, he, and he desires something better for them. And so one day... When he sees an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews, one of his fellow Israelites, he kind of looks both ways. Nobody's around. Nobody knows. And he goes and he kills the Egyptian. And he hides him. Uh, and he thinks, maybe, just maybe, I can set my people free. Maybe I can get, start something. I can get my people out of, uh, out of slavery. But then his plan goes awry. Because the next day he encounters some of his own people who are arguing. And, and they, they say, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian? He's like, oh, I thought nobody knew about that. You know? uh, I thought nobody knew. And finally Pharaoh hears and he chases him out into the desert. Uh, pl- chases him to a place called Midian. You can see where... Oh, maybe you can't see it. Okay. Was, was the hair up there that whole time? Okay, good. Okay. Um, so there's Midian. It's a long ways from Egypt. You know, he goes a long ways. So he flees to Midian. He meets a girl. He marries her. And he lives his life out as a shepherd. I mean, literally, he's around 80 years old. And he thinks his life is over. But he's actually about to be the recipient of one of the worst ideas in history. Really, honestly. So let's start reading in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? 
Now, we have, again, a lack of details. And I think this is what's so cool about the, the Bible is that there is a lack of details. And I think that's so that we can enter the story and just be part of it. You know, we can kind of supply the details. And so I like to imagine that this is probably in the dark because, I mean, where would you notice a burning bush from afar? It's probably in the dark. So you see this bush and it's burning and uh, it's not burning up. And so, I mean, if you've ever been in the dark in the wilderness, that's kind of scary. Especially if there's a strange light that's going on. So you have to imagine that this is probably a pretty uh, crazy place. And so he wants to go see this thing. So he's creeping up to the bush. And suddenly, this is what happens. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the, within the bush, Moses, Moses. Can you imagine how scary that would be? Like, if you're creeping up on this burning bush and all of a sudden you hear your name. Uh, and what does he say? He says, here I am. I mean, I don't think I would have said that. I think I would have run, ran away. But, um, but he stays there. And you can probably just imagine the sheer terror that Moses is going through. Uh, and God says this. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this... Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, I think it's important to note here that, that God doesn't show up to Moses in the midst of his intense and deep spiritual exercises. You know, I know you guys are studying the, the spiritual exercises in Richard Foster's book. I love Richard Foster's book. Um, but it's interesting that he doesn't show up in the midst of, you know, the fasting, the praying, uh, the, the reading of Scripture. He just shows up in, in Moses' everyday life. And I think God does that to us a lot too. Like he just shows up in the midst of the things that we're going about and that we're doing. And a lot of times we're just not ready to hear that. Because we're, 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 we're so caught up. We're so busy. But that's just a side note. That's a whole other sermon. We won't, won't go into that. Um, but when God hits the scene, we see ordinary ground. A, a, just a normal mountain being transformed into holy ground. And of course, um, God doesn't show up. Because he wants Moses to just bask in his presence. He has a plan. He has something that he wants Moses to do. And something that he wants Moses to accomplish. And so look at this. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I think it's just so amazing here that this is probably the exact thing that happened to Moses. He saw the misery of his people, right? He, he was concerned about their suffering and he, 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 he tried to rescue his people, he tried to do something about it, and it fell flat. But what I think is also amazing here is that God often works with the passions and the desires and the things that He puts in you. He puts those in you for a reason. And sometimes we try to accomplish those things prematurely, but that doesn't mean even when it falls flat or when it breaks down or when it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use those passions and those desires and the things that He put in you uh, to accomplish His will. It just simply means it's not time yet. It's not time yet. And so I think that's really awesome and a, and a great thing for us to remember as we're reading the story of Moses. And so at this point, you have to imagine that Moses is probably getting excited. 
He's remembering that moment long ago when he had grand plans to relieve his, his Hebrew brothers and sisters from being beaten. Uh, and now God has taken notice. And the God, it's the God of Abraham, the one who made all the promises to his people. And now God's going to act. But I also have to think that probably the next words brought Moses just as much dread as the previous words brought excitement. He says this, So now go. <laughs> so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And you have to just imagine that, that at this point, Moses is thinking, Bad idea. <laughs> really bad idea. I don't want to go. I don't, I, no way. Um, and when we look at it, it's, it's no surprise. I mean, when we look at it, it's no surprise that God's calling Moses to do this. I mean, he was educated in Egypt. He knows the language. He knows the culture. He's a shepherd. If you've ever heard, you know, if you know what it takes to be a shepherd, you know, you have to be around and, and lead some really stubborn, dumb animals. And, I mean, people of Israel, <laughs> stubborn and dumb, right? So, I mean, he's like the perfect person to, to do what God has called him to do. But he, he's like, no, I, no, I don't want to go. And he actually has four different objections. And if you've ever read the, the call stories in, in the Bible, there's almost always at least one objection. But Moses is, gives it a doozy. He gives four objections um, because he really just doesn't want to go. So let's, let's look at these four objections. Uh, his first objection is this. Who am I? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know, Moses doubts his abilities. He doubts uh, his, his, you know, the things that he can do. He, he still has wounds that, that need to be healed. And he says, no way I can do that. Who am I that I should do this? You know? Uh, and he goes on. He says this. Well, what if, what if they don't believe me? You know, what if they don't believe what I tell them? You know, if you've ever been around people, you know that they have a hard time believing anything. My, my son just doesn't believe anything we say. You know, he wants a chip, and we, we got the bag of chips, and then we say, they're all gone. He's like, let me see. <laughs> I got to see that. Actually, let, me, let me look. What if, they, what if they don't believe me? You know, what, what if they don't believe me? Um, and then Moses goes on. He says, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And uh, that, that there's actually a little bit of uh, Hebrew tradition or, or Jew, tradition in, Ju- in the Jew- Jewish faith, faith that, that Moses may, may have actually had some sort of a speech impediment that he really couldn't talk. And you actually read that in chapter 4, verse 14, where, Moses, or where God tells Moses, he says, yeah, okay, I'll send your brother. He can speak good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he can speak well. That, that was poor English, right? Uh, he can speak well. Um, so a lot of people think that he didn't really have that good of ability, that, that very very good abilities when it comes to speaking. I'm exhibiting that right now. Uh, so anyway, so either way, he get, he gets specific that you know this this ability I, I can't go. But finally, he really gets to the heart of it. He just says, "Please send someone else. I just I just don't want to go. I just don't want to do what you're calling me to do because it's just it's just too big. Uh, it, it's it's incredible. I I can't go. I don't want to go." And so what I love about God's answers to this, he answers each one individually if you read the story. And I'm going to go in reverse order. So he's going to send someone else. He says, okay, I'll send your brother. I'll help you speak. Don't forget your God staff. He says that. Okay. Uh, then he goes on. He says, or actually he says someone else. He said, I'll help you. I'll, I'll, I'll go for you. Uh, this, he says, uh, what if they don't believe? He says, well, I'll give you some signs. 
You know, I'll give you a staff that turns into a snake, and uh, I'll give you this, this thing where you can, you know, stick your hand in your cloak and pull it out, and it's leprous. I'll give you some signs that they'll believe. Um, but I, I think the most important answer is the one he gives him at the very start, when Moses says, who am I? Who am I? Because I think that that's what most of us ask whenever we're challenged with doing what God has called us to do. We're like, who am I? To, to go and do that? Who am I to stand up here and speak? Who am I to, uh, to, to go out there and, and try to share my faith with somebody? I don't have everything figured out. I don't have all the answers. Who am I? And God's answer is so powerful. And it's one that, that we know, if you grew up in church, you know this answer. But it's so hard to live like it's true. And God says this, I will be with you. Oh. There we go. He says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. (laughs) What? You know, that's such an incredible sign. Okay, so we're going to go into Egypt, one of the superpowers of the world. We're going to pull out all these slaves and we're going to worship you on this mountain. That's the sign. And as I thought about that, you know, Moses is given his sign in advance. But we as Christians, we're given our sign in the past. Because what's our sign? It's resurrection. You know, what's the entire Christian faith built on? The event of the resurrection. You know, our sign is that Jesus came to earth and said, it's all about me, follow me, I'm going to die and then I'm going to be raised and you can follow me and you can also be raised. And, the, and then he proved that it was true by himself being, dying and being raised from the dead. We have the resurrection as our sign. So powerful. And so we have the sign that says, yes, I will be with you. I'm here. The Holy Spirit is living in each one of you. We've got the sign. The resurrection shows us that this is true. And there's, a, there's one guy in the New Testament who really gets this. Uh, and I just want to zero in on, on a guy named Paul. He was a missionary. Uh, he, he traveled all around Asia Minor and he planted churches all over the place. Um, but he was at the end of his ministry in Acts chapter 21. And he was, was on his way to Rome because he had appealed to Caesar and uh, he had gotten accused of a lot of different things and they were going to kill him. He says, well, I appealed to Caesar and every Roman citizen had the right to appeal to Caesar. And so he was going to Caesar. He was going to Rome and he was on this ship and the ship was in the middle of a storm. And the, and the, the storm was going to destroy the ship. It looked like it was going to you know, break everybody apart, everybody apart and the, the whole, everybody was going to lose their lives. And that one night, while they're being driven by this storm, uh, we read this. And Paul says, actually Paul speaks to a bunch of the people and he says, listen to this. He says, last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be afraid. The God whose I am. And this is exactly what God is saying to Moses. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is whose you are. And we know whose we are. We know who is present with us. We don't need to fear the fact that we're young or we're old or we're in between. 
We don't need to fear about the lack of abilities, the lack of safety, the, the, the lack of anything that we have in our human frailty. It, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters whose you are. And he uses all of those past experiences. Just like Moses you know, failed when he first tried to set his people free, he failed it, and God is going to use that past experience to show him the, the, and to, to lead him to a better future. And so we can step boldly into the future. And we can know that this story is bigger than, than any one person and all their abilities and all their strengths and what they've got. And it's not about my preference. It's about what God wants. It's not about my abilities. It's about the power of God working through me and filling in the cracks. And so when we know whose we are, I believe that we will know what to do. You know, because so often... We just don't acknowledge and live like God's with us and that we truly belong to God and we try to wrestle the belonging away from God and we try to hold it in our own hands and we try to do our own thing and go our own way. And God just says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And you're mine. So we know whose we are. And we know what to do. And so my question that I want to leave you with this morning is just, Whose are you? Whose are you really? Are you yours? Or are you God's? And if you're God's, and if He's with you, what's He calling you to do? And how's He calling you to live? So let's have a prayer, and uh, I'll hand it back over to uh, Raymond. God, we thank You for these incredible stories. Uh, we thank You for the ancient words that have been preserved for so many years that show us your character and show us who you are and who we are. And God, I just pray that we would take the message of Exodus and Paul to heart. And Lord, that we would trust you working in us in all of our frailties and imperfections. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.